Hello and welcome. My name's Stephen Dickens and you're listening to the I'm a Mainframer podcast brought to you by the Open Mainframe Project. The Open Mainframe Project is a Linux Foundation collaborative project focused on the mainframe as a platform, bringing together the open source community around this particular architecture. I'm joined today by really one of my great friends on the platform, Tom Amodio from Vicom. Hey, Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks, Steve. Great to be here. So, Tom, just to get our listeners orientated, could you just really give a brief introduction to your role and, and, and what you do at Vicom so we can just get everybody orientated here and just get started? Sure. Um, so I'm one of the owners of ICOM, um, the president of the company, and uh, I've uh, been pretty much a mainframe technology person my entire career. So, uh, you know, I'll say I lead the company from sales, engineering, um, and also, you know, anything to do with the uh, technology itself. And just give us a double click on Vicom, Tom. I know you guys well and the role you play and the, some of the leadership role you play is in the industry and the ecosystem, but, but just maybe expand on Vicom and, and kind of what you guys do just to help everybody get sort of get a picture of the role you play. Sure. Yeah, we're, we're a little bit of a you know, different um, reseller. Um, so we're, we're sort of in that classification of evaluated reseller. But we didn't start out that way. We were really, we started out as a company that was more focused on software sales and um, systems integration um, on the mainframe. You know, so when we go back to our origins of Infinity Systems back in the early 90s, um, you know, our focus was, you know, looking at, you know, new stuff coming out. And, you know, th those things at the time were parallel sysplex. Uh, was Unix System Services, OpenMVS, um, TCP/IP was a big movement in the uh, early to mid '90s and into the late '90s. So we we spent you know the first seven years or so as Infinity Systems really um, enabling these new functions and capabilities on the mainframe. Uh, we started to see this movement into value-added reselling, and we lobbied IBM for a number of years. Um, and then by creating this partnership with my uh, friends over at Vicom, we formed Vicom Infinity, which really became a um, system Z reseller as well as focused on, you know, peripherals around the Z environment, you know, storage, tape, et cetera. Um, but, you know, our focus was always on new technology. Um, you know, in our early days, you know, we did some really bleeding edge stuff. Uh, you know, in 1998, we created the first ever uh, Java runtime on OS 390 uh, was really the, I'll say the um, stimulator for <laughs> what became known as WebSphere on OS 390 later on. They had WebSphere running on distributed, but after they saw us being able to deliver a Java object on OS 390, it um, sort of woke them up that, you know, the mainframe, you know, had a place in this world of Java. Um, and a couple of years later, we actually deployed the first ever production uh, WebSphere on OS 390 at one of our clients. Uh, we did several others after that, some very large scale ones. I won't name the customers, but they were very large financial institutions in the New York metro area. Um, and, you know, we really were always experts at everything new. When uh, IBM brought up Linux in Poughkeepsie, you know, two of my engineers were invited up there that day. So it was a couple of engineers from Boblegan and uh, Poughkeepsie and two of my engineers were in the room. So uh, we were 
could say we were there the first time they did it in Poughkeepsie and, you know, we walked out of there and immediately jumped on that bandwagon. So, you know, once again, you know, our focus has been really on integrating anything new technology that comes out in the marketplace. Uh, you know, in the early 90, in the early 2000s, we were doing a lot of CICS web enablement. We did the first ever Kix web interface, the first ever Java gateway into CICS. Um, so we're really on the bleeding edge of technologies. We were working closely with Hersley and Santa Teresa, um, Toronto for UDB. And you know, we would basically look for customers and pilot customers for you know, first ever implementations on a mainframe for something new coming out of the labs. And that was really our heritage. And that's what it still is today. You know, I'll tell, talk later on about some of the new things we've been working on in the last few years. But um, our heritage has always been to break the ice, um, you know, sort of break through the glass and, you know, find out, you know, how we can bring something into the mainframe that, you know, up to that point in time was really, you know, not really a mainframe technology, um, but now, you know, integrating the mainframe with it and allow it to play in that world. And, and Tom, that, that's certainly how I think IBM looks at you and, uh, and the rest of the community looks at you. It's kind of taking that leadership role as of kind of one of the first adopters of new technology really diving in at that deep end and saying okay this new technology is being launched or even before it's launched how do we help clients deploy that and i know from my engagement with you guys over the last sort of 10 years or so that's been a um a key part of what you've been doing in the open source community and, and obviously a lot of our listeners are, are focused in on that piece Maybe just if you could go through some of the examples, what you've been doing in the Linux space and some of the open source space with Zoe, that sure. maybe bring us a bit more current and, and talk about some of the newer pieces. Yeah, well, you know, we, we started our own open source projects back in, you know, I'd say it was around the 2012 timeframe. We um, just wanted to play around with a few technologies, Mongo, uh, Nginx, there was a few others that, uh, we were playing with and you know the bottom line was we wanted to figure out can we get these open source um pro uh, you know products to run on z and we were able to it actually um ended up a conversation i had with some people in poughkeepsie saying um you know we've we've got to do a lot more around this space you know if my small little company could uh get these little products going you know what could we do if we have masses working on this and uh you know, we, we saw a big movement in 2013, 14, and, you know, it only accelerated after that. And we could tell right now the number of open source projects around the mainframe or, you know, available on the mainframe, um, you know, it's just grown significantly in the last five years. Um, you know, Zoe was, you know, a great addition to that, you know, in terms of uh, creating a community. Um, you know, it started obviously with Rocket and CA and IBM, but, you know, it's expanding. And uh, the great thing there is, you know, this is, I think, the beginning of, you know, what we'll look back on. It's the, you know, it's still what I would call in its infancy. But, you know, this is the beginning of really creating a open source community, you know, really to drive new capabilities for the mainframe, um, solving problems for the mainframe that have existed for years that um, we've, you know, been dependent on vendors to try to solve. Uh, but now we're seeing, you know, individuals step forward or even individuals that work in companies that are working in their, you know, spare time to contribute. Um, 
know, one, one of the projects we worked on this summer was basically creating a, um, a JSON interface for SMF data. Um, you know, SMF data is, you know, very valuable, you know, I'll refer to it as a, um, you know, very valuable resource in terms of mainframe information, you know, what goes on from everything from security to performance through, you know, how companies use it for chargeback capacity planning, um, you know, problem management, there's so many things that go on with an SMF data, but being able to unlock it and, you know, put it into a format that can easily be ingested into other systems. And, you know, we have very powerful um, analytic systems today and, you know, um, systems that can do analysis and graphing and other things. And, you know, the only inhibitor was how do we take this 40, 50 year old format of SMF data and make it ingestible just like any other data into these, you know, analysis engines. And that's, uh, was a, we brought in an intern, we basically, you know, created some specifications, uh, mentored him uh, through the project. And uh, on the other end of it, at the completion, we delivered, you know, a great component. Uh, and the, co the component was, I believe it was just recently adopted. Um, by the open mainframe project and uh, the code, the project name was Zebra. So you could Google that and look it up, but um, it really is about opening up that, you know, very valuable SMF data uh, to, you know, systems and platforms and, and products that can, you know, render it and give it a, you know, greater useful life beyond what people use it for on the mainframe today. And Tom, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously aware of this, but I, as we were looking to build the open mainframe project, you were an obvious choice of one of our founding members. I know, and, and Len has throughout the years been a, a great servant to the platform who's your CTO as, as our board chair. Maybe talk us through why you as the CEO see it's important, a relatively small organization. Why do you, why do you sort of think it's so vital for you to take a leadership role in, in an open source community such as the Open Mainframe Project. Well, I, I if if I go back, you know, again, we've always been interested in anything new, right? That's coming out, right? And that's that could be technology that started maybe in the distributed world that we think is going to eventually evolve into the enterprise space. Um, and when I say enterprise, I mean including you know the mainframe, or in some cases it stops short of the mainframe, and we figure out how to go that extra yard to bring it you know into the mainframe world. Um, but I think the great thing about the Open Mainframe Project is it builds that community. Right? It gives you access to resources that you know before this you know the the mainframe really was led by a number of large software companies and IBM, and uh, it was every project or any anything that was ever done on it. And believe me, I worked for a software company, so I, I know, you know, how this works. And, you know, there had to be a dollar value to everything you did, um, anything you developed, you know, there had to be this return on investment. Um, you know, when, you know, in the early days of Vicom Infinity and Infinity Systems, you know, we didn't look at, you know, when we said we wanted to create a, you know, figure out how to create a runtime for Java on OS 390. It wasn't because we were thinking, well, we've got to make money at this one. We saw that there was going to be a need for it. And we figured, you know, if we can solve the problem, the money will come later on. We'll figure out how to monetize it later. But we led into it just with one thing only. And that was we had to, um, you know, we knew we had this problem. We talked to several customers and they already voiced 
interest in seeing Java objects run on the mainframe. Um, so that was it. We didn't have to go out and request a budget and create a business plan and do anything. It was, you know, it was just something I could do myself and I can fund it and we can run. And that's sort of what the open mainframe project, you know, allows us to do again is, you know, we, you know, we can solve problems. We can create opportunities, um, for, for new things, um, you know, better integrations, uh, you know, it really advanced the platform um, without having the drag and the friction of being a formal, you know, relying on, you know, software companies uh, to solve the problems. You know, this becomes a community working together to solve a problem. And how do you see that, you know, we're sort of five years into the open mainframe project now. How do you see, have you seen that um, kind of moving forward? Have you seen, what's been your perspective there, Tom, as you've seen, from the first day we launched the project through sort of five years on, how, how are you feeling that's going? Well, like anything else, I think, you know, some people, you know, it takes time for people to understand what it's about, right? So, you know, when you talk about open source and you talk about the mainframe, um, you know, there was sort of, you know, there was a gap in terms of understanding. So the people that live in this mainframe world, you know, we were brought up to understand, you know, early on in my days when I worked at Chase Manhattan Bank, you know, we weren't allowed to just, you know, download, you know, what I'll call shareware software, right? You know, the old CBT, you know, stuff, you know, they were so afraid of malware and other things, you know, entering the, the environment. Um, so, you know, there was, you know, there was, People look down upon things that we, you know, refer to shareware. Um, you know, later on, you know, the open source took over the distributed world. We saw that happen, uh, and it took some time. But I think to some, the the mainframe was still, you know, stuck in its old ways of, you know, we're just not going to jump into this open source world right away. So I think it, it's been, you know, the beginning days, the early days, the first year or so might have been a little bit slower. We're still seeing some friction in some of the large enterprises in terms of joining um, the open mainframe project. Um, and I, I think that's part of that is there, they still don't recognize the value that it can bring in terms of, you know, how, you know, what open source did in the distributed in the cloud world, right? How, I mean, it accelerated the cloud. Um, you know, they, they're not getting how it can accelerate the mainframe and it could, it could accelerate, um, you know, solving some of the problems. I mean, customers every day deal with the same problems day in, day out, um, and they become accustomed to it. It becomes the new norm. Um, and what they don't realize is that there are, you know, a lot easier way to do things. The reason why the cloud is accelerated and we see distributed systems have, you know, grown exponentially um, is they were able to do things with a lot less friction. Um, and I think that's, that's something that the mainframe sort of still has, you know, a, a problem with, or it's probably its greatest challenge. So, um, you know, in terms of the open mainframe project's growth, I think it's been, it, it could have been better if, if, um, people understood it and were more supportive of it. Um, I'm going to give you one more statement there. And that is, if we look at, you know, what's gone on in the mainframe world, um, in the last, you know, 25 years, um, you know, there's been a real gradual slowing of bringing new skills in, right? It started probably somewhere in the early 90s and continued through the early 2000s and then basically just went off a cliff um, where, you know, you just hadn't seen in the last 15 to 20 years 
anybody knew really coming in. Um, you see small sort of, you know, onesie twosies, you know, you see what's going on in the universities, you know, where they try to, you know, bring um, new people in, but it's nowhere near um, the number for the, you know, what's happening on the other side with the attrition, right? So we've got this big gap. Um, and I think part of that, you know, when I go back to the problem with the open mainframe project, it is sort of that, you know, same issue there where we have just a mentality of, you know, leadership within, you know, these, you know, you know enterprise spaces that, you know, for some reason don't apply open source um, and open, you know, source thinking into the mainframe. Um, they, you know, they apply it to the cloud, they apply it to their distributed environment, but they sort of, you know, stop at the mainframe. And um, I think that's something that will shift over time as we bring, you know, uh, new people into mainframe management, um, people that have come from a distributed world and now are learning, you know, you know, the value of the mainframe, uh, they'll feel more comfortable. And, you know, maybe we'll see something like the open mainframe project really reach its full potential. Because I think right now it's somewhat hampered by large enterprises that are, you know, not willing to completely commit into it. Zoe's been a big part of that, Tom. I mean, it's a it's a big part of our project and where we're seeing that collaborative effort within the Open Mainframe project. You mentioned about skills. What role do you see kind of Zoe playing in that overall space? How how do you see it and, and, and kind of how's it impacting some of those client conversations? Yep. Yeah, um so you know, Zoe, I think, is still in its infancy. And I'll say for, for several reasons. One, um, the in terms of it being adopted, you know, you know, broadly, um, you know, we're really in the very early nascent stages of of Zoe, right? Um, I think people are sort of looking at it. They're um, trying to get comfortable with it, understand it. Um, and again, this just goes to the gap there is in you know, mainframe technologists, you know, mainframe systems programmers, um, you know, what, you know, you know, what they do on a day to day basis, and then relating how Zoe could help them get to that, you know, next level. So, you know, the, the greatest thing we could do is have Zoe, you know, embedded somewhere in the operating system that, you know, when everything is installed, you know, Zoe is automatically enabled. And, you know, we remove all the friction from having to go in and enable it as a secondary, you know, or an, or an afterthought, right? Um, so I, I think that's, you know, we're, so where we're at with Zoe still is that, um, I want to say somewhat the infancy stage of, you know, deployment, you know, the customers, um, you know, I could tell you just from us playing with it, it's, you know, it's not simple to enable. Um, and what I mean by that is it, it should be anybody who has, you know, the ability to enter commands and the ability to read a simple installation guide or, you know, cheat sheet, you know, get started here type of, um, you know, instruction set. Uh, should be able to install a product anywhere. And um, I think that's, you know, Zoe is not 100% there yet. I think when it does get there and we figure out how to embed it and make it part of the, you know, the infrastructure itself, right, where it's automatically enabled. Um, and, you know, then it, it'll, 
it'll offer much more promise to the enterprise in terms of then understanding how to plug things into it to enable, um, you know, APIs and, you know, other interfaces. But again, that's where the community comes in to really build around Zoe, right? And make Zoe interesting. It's like when the web came out, you know, in the very early days of the internet, it, you know, you just didn't really know, okay, this is looking a little weird. Um, you know, I'm going back to the early nineties, um, you know, but it took three or four years and then all of a sudden content and graphics and other things started to really expand and the internet started to get interesting. Um, you know, so I think that's sort of where we are with Zoe. You know, we've got to get it to the point where it really becomes interesting and um, has a lot of cool content and, you know, a lot of good function and feature built into it and, or that's easily to enable with inside it. And, um, you know, it becomes that gateway um, to the, to everything you need to unlock within the mainframe. Yeah, I mean, I think that's how I look at it as well, Tom. I think, you know, as these projects look to get bootstrapped and get off the ground, they obviously sort of start to build momentum. And I think if I look at where Zoe's been over the last couple of years, the first year was just getting its feet underneath itself as a project, getting that first code release. I think as we start to move through the code releases, we're starting to see kind of that mature. So it, it, it's interesting that you kind of see it in the same way. Yep. And it's so let's, evolution, right? Yeah, it's an evolution. And I mean, that kind of leads me on as we pivot and, and talk about um, kind of you and your career. You've kind of been with, with Vicom now a while. What would be some of that advice you'd be starting to sort of think about giving? We've got a lot of younger listeners to the show, early professionals. And I know you do a lot of mentoring with Vicom as part of the Open Mainframe Mentorship Project. What would be the advice you'd maybe be giving to the the twenty two year old Tom Amodia um, as he was embarking out on his career? What would what would be your kind of advice to your younger self if you could do that? Um, advice to my younger self. Well, so I'm gonna twist it. If I if I had to give you know advice, so I look at it two ways, right? If I could go back and redo anything, what would I redo? Or second, knowing what I know now, what would I tell somebody else to do? Um, in a sense. Um, I'll tell you the one thing that I did in my career that I, you know, I think is at the core of, you know, some of the success I had was I, I, I forced myself to learn as much about as many parts of the technology as I could. I never felt comfortable just understanding one part of the technology. All right. And if, you know, if I could tell you know, anybody coming into this platform, and that is, you know, you've got a career that's going to span, you know, 30 plus years, um, every year, and, you know, as often as possible, you know, within a year, and break it, break it apart as much as you want, but always try to learn and understand some other component. The mainframe is a vast amount of technology built into it. Um, and, if you only understand small pieces of it, you'll never be able to really, you know, reach your full potential. <laughs> you know, the more you understand about how it works and how all the components work within it, um, the more valuable you are to the enterprise, um, the more valuable, you know, the, or the greater the value you'll build for yourself in your career. Um, you know, the, I never wanted to be somebody 
that had to be dependent on somebody else telling me, you know, how something would work or, you know, to, I didn't have to know it to the, you know, being the subject matter expert on it, but I never felt comfortable not understanding it, right? Whatever it was, whether it was a database technology, whether it was the networking side, whether it was security, performance, capacity planning, you know, chargeback. I tried to learn as many disciplines as possible around the mainframe. I was fortunate to get to wear a lot of hats. Um, one of the things we always said, even as a company early on, if a customer came to us and said, could you do X, whatever X was, the answer was never no. We'd always figure it out. And that's, you know, what I would tell anybody who's, you know, young starting out this career, and that is continually challenge yourself. And the, what I'll, I'll give you it's an analogy. I'll, you know, when I was working at CA early on in my career, I didn't know assembler language. And they hired me on the basis that somebody saw something in the interview and they said, this guy can learn anything. And so I had to learn assembler and they gave me six weeks to do it. Um, and I said, you know, I felt like I was at the bottom, you know, of Mount Everest looking up and you can't even see the summit, right? You just, you know, you could barely see, you know, third of the way up the mountain. And, you know, that's sort of what it felt like. You couldn't see, you know, where the top was. You didn't know how long the climb was going to be. And once you scaled it, you realize, okay, you know, that's a, that was scary, but, you know, we did it. Um, and then, you know, later on in the career, you know, you, you counter those over and over again, right? But what happens is the first time you're at that base looking up at the summit, it's scary. After you scale the summit several times, you know, the next challenge you're, you encounter later on in your career, you, you, the fear is gone. The trepidation is gone. You just really, you look at it and say, okay, I'll figure it out. I don't know what I'm doing today. I don't know what's ahead of me. I don't know, you know, you know how I'm going to get to the top of this, but we're going to figure it out. And, you know, that's how we took on every project that we've done in the last 20 some odd years. Um, you know, uh, I'm going to digress on one project we worked on to give you an example. Um, and really, I, I, I've instilled this in everybody who works for me. That, you know, we, we just got to challenge ourselves to do things that, you know, aren't easy, right? We're going to solve problems. You know, when we did Java on OS390, if you understood the amount of hacking we had to do, um, it was just bizarre. I mean, I, I couldn't even tell you what we did. All I know is, you know, we got it to work. And when we delivered the Hello, Hello World, everybody was hooting and hollering. Um, but we, we did something else recently, and it started out with a hypothesis. It was, you know, can we talk to the mainframe? Can we, you know, talk to the mainframe and actually get a voice response back? And we didn't know what we didn't know at the time, right? How to do that, right? How, how does Alexa for business work, right? How does Alexa work? How does Google Talk work? How does Siri work? And we didn't understand those technologies, but we wanted to, you know, figure it out. And the reason for doing it was we wanted something secure. And we knew that if we had to build something for the mainframe that would be a natural language processor, it had to be secure, it had to be, you know, enterprise ready. And, you know, we, we, we didn't know what we didn't know, and, but we took it on. And it took us a couple of years, <laughs> a lot longer than it took us to do Java. It only took us six to eight weeks to do Java. This took us, uh, well, the first project only took about three months. Um, but that was just a very crude POC. But we went through multiple MVPs and we solved different problems along the way, security and everything else. Um, but the point is at the end, you know, we challenged ourselves to deliver something. Uh, we knew what we wanted it to do. And you know, today what we delivered is a natural language processor 
that runs in hyper-protect services for security, can run on-prem on Z or can run in IBM's cloud on Z. Um, and it's completely integrated with Watson. Um, and you could basically create a chatbot that talks to an API endpoint, ask a question in a natural language and get a answer back either in the form of a text, a report or a voice response. Um, so, you know, again, you know, this started out as a challenge, you know, what do we, what don't we know about doing this? And we didn't know anything. We didn't know about Watson. We didn't know how, you know, chatbots worked. <laughs> we, we didn't understand how we could, you know, create the API endpoints and, you know, have them interact with the chatbots. We had to learn everything. So I go back to, if you, you know, use that as an example, if you have a young person coming into the mainframe, the thing you got to tell them is there's a lot that you don't know. And you can't be afraid to learn and you can't be afraid to challenge yourself. And the mainframe is a little different than any other platform because there are a lot of things that happen within ZOS and ZVM and, you know, the operating systems. This is not like any other platform. You really, you know, need to know about a number of things that go on within this platform to really master it. And, you know, that's the chat. Everybody should be challenged to say, I want to master this environment. I want to understand everything about it. And, you know, once you do that, you can do anything and your career will be, you'll have a career set for life because this mainframe, I don't think in our lifetime or maybe even the next generation's lifetime is going away. I just don't see anything replacing it. And Tom, I, I mean, that's a fantastic answer. If I could replay this podcast to anybody who's, who's embarking out in their career, as we've known each other these last few years, I think that intellectual curiosity's come through. Just learning some of the conversations and how you push your organization and sort of embed that in how you guys work and operate. That just comes through and, and, and delights your customers. You know, as you're doing the boring stuff with the customers and you're deploying these platforms and you're doing the mundane, you're always looking to sort of drive that um, sort of view to the future. And, and, and that kind of leads to my last question. I know you've got a fantastic perspective on this platform. As you look ahead, sort of three to five years out, where do you see the mainframe going? Well, I think um, th there's two there's two things that are happening in the enterprise space, right? So depending on where you, where you are in the scope and scale of a customer, um, you know, there are a number of customers that will eventually move off the mainframe, right? Because they just don't have the skills to manage it. Um, their business doesn't demand it anymore. You know, other technology, you know, there was a point in time that there were things the mainframe did that nothing, you couldn't accomplish your business problems or solve your business problems on any other platform. Or if you did, it would, the cost would be immense. Um, you know, the mainframe was always much more cost effective, but we're sort of in that, I'll say crossroads right now that we, where there are certain applications uh, that could scale really well on other platforms and are scaling well. We see that, you know, every day. Um, but, you know, there's still a number of businesses that have just an immense investment in the mainframe. And to take that investment and try to transform it and put it somewhere else makes no business sense all right, at all. I mean, the, the economics just 
fall apart and break down. And believe me, we're, we live in the transformation space. We, you know, we, we're masters at it. Um, the economics don't work for, you know, the majority of customers. Um, so that means you're going to be living with this mainframe for more than three to five years. I, I see, you know, outside, there's going to be, you know, always the exceptions, you know, onesie, twosie customers that say, you know, their business has been able to navigate and, you know, move away for whatever, either they went to uh, package software, they've been able to, you know, move to cloud-based products, you know, whatever, you know, there's always going to be those, you know, don't say, you know, I don't want to call them one-offs because it's more than one-offs, but they're, they're going to be the minority of customers that can find their way clear and move to another platform and move to the cloud. Um, majority of mainframe customers, especially the larger ones, as we get into thousands of MIPS, you know, once you start crossing that 10,000 MIP barrier, whether, you know, a number of customers, it is extremely difficult to look at getting off the mainframe or doing something and going somewhere else. So I think the move is still going to be to, you know, you know, the, the problem, I think, of the future in the next five years, it's not going to be about, um, you know, how do we, you know, you know, what does the mainframe look like, right? We, we, the mainframe is going to look pretty much like what it looks like today. There's going to be changes. It's going to evolve. We know that. But in terms of how it processes work, what it does, it's going to be doing exactly what it does today. And there's going to be some more function and feature and other things. We're always going to have those little, you know, evolutionary things. But I think the most interesting thing that's going to happen in the mainframe world, and I think within the enterprise in general, is the introduction of AI. And, you know, this is something we actually started working on back in 2000, but, you know, we maybe we're ahead of our time, um, you know, we started thinking about the concept of programming robots to do the work of systems programmers. And we actually developed a whole bunch of code around that um, just as a proof of concept also. But I think what we're doing now, we're seeing things out of IBM research in other areas where they're focusing on what I'll say pointed problems within the enterprise and possibly, you know, directly within the mainframe environment and how do you use you know AI to do things um, find problems um, you know again as the mainframe environment grows be it's more complex than ever you know AI can do things in a fraction of a second um, compared to how humans could operate uh, they can make decisions at least or at least provide um, a result set to somebody to make a decision much quicker, right? By looking at, you know, potentially thousands of data points and analyzing them and then, you know, coming to a decision maker to say, okay, here's your problem. Um, and I think that's what we're gonna see as we start moving out somewhere in the three to five, six, seven year time frame is gonna be this expansion of AI into what I'll, what I'll call enterprise ops um, and specifically, I think it's how we solve the resource problem for the mainframe, which is, you know, everybody's worried about what do we do? How do we replace, you know, the masses that are going to be retiring? Well, we're not going to be able to replace all of them. But what we'll do is what we've always done. We've gotten by with fewer and fewer people. I could remember when I led a systems programming staff of 16 people. You know, in today's world, you'd only need two or three systems programmers at most to run the type of environment we were running, maybe even less, maybe, you know, maybe one and a half if I really boiled it down, but you need to account for vacation and sick time and other things. But, you know, with AI, we really could do a lot more with a lot fewer people over time. So the question is, 
you know, how quickly can we speed up AI into the environment um, and sort of, you know, I'll say offset the attrition that's going to occur, occur in the five to 10 year time frame. Tom, fantastic answer. I was talking to Len Santalucia just before this podcast and said to him, I, I, I love recording this show. It's a, it's a highlight of my week whenever I get to spend time with the guests. But I was particularly looking forward to this because I think you, you, you're one of the unique people in this community that gives us a view, not only of the business impact, but also the technology. In your role as the CEO of Vicom, I know you straddle both environments perfectly. So now I just want to say, Tom, thank you very much for being a guest on the show and, and, and really enjoyed our, our conversation here. We've, we've run longer than we normally do, but that's because I think you've just got this interesting perspective that we can share with our listeners. So, Tom, thank you very much for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Great talking to you, Steve. You've been listening to the I'm a Mainframer podcast. My name's Stephen Dickens. Thank you for joining us. If you like the show, click and subscribe on the on the uh, links below. And if you're on the uh, Apple platform, give us a five-star rating. Thank you very much for being with us on the I'm a Mainframer podcast.